nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scour the globe for top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So welcome to another episode of the Zika Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. And today I have for you SIBO gut health coach, Alexandra Ress. Her work is fantastic. I actually met her through someone else who I had on the show, Riley Ramasco, who also does amazing work. And by the way, if you haven't listened to the episode with Riley, that's one of my most popular episodes. Go back and listen to it from a few, I would say about two months ago. She broke down so much about low stomach acid, heartburn, GERD, so on and so forth. That was a fantastic episode. But today, we're going to talk about SIBO. Because what Alexandra mostly does, not only, not only what she does, but what she mostly does is she helps you to deal with, of course, SIBO and gut issues with a one-on-one plan, personalized, right? One-on-one plan to identify root causes, root causes, not the symptom, not to cover it up, but the root causes. And you learn to release the fear of food. Because a lot of times when we have health problems, we think, oh my God, I can't eat this. I can't eat that. And you know, if I eat this, it's going to trigger that. If I eat gluten, it's going to trigger this autoimmunity, on so on and so forth. And we're just afraid to eat altogether. Well, Alexandra helps you to bypass all that, right? So we're going to get into that in this episode. So here's a short, I guess you say, a little intro of what we're going to talk about. I already gave it away, SIBO, right? Small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Bloating, which is a huge topic because we think bloating is okay, it's just normal. It's, it might be normal, but it's not optimal and it's not good. Anti-inflammatory foods because that's one thing she specializes in, and a whole lot more. Oh, and as as a bonus, by the way, at the end, she will explain what your body needs for your gut to thrive. Because to have a healthy brain, to have a lot of energy, to manage your weight, to feel fantastic, you have to have a healthy gut. So yes, she's going to explain what your body needs for your gut to thrive. And with that being said, Let's welcome Alexandra to the show. Hey, how are you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me in this show. I'm really grateful uh, for this opportunity. I'm doing fine. I hope you are as well. Or how, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much. And I'm not making this up. I'm, I asked Riley for some uh, suggestions and you're the ones that came up. And I looked at your page and I looked at the information that you bring. And I know you're going to be great for my audience. So. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This is going to be uh, a very beneficial episode. Yeah, I'm pretty sure about that. Yes, thank you. So with that being said, I know about you, but tell my audience about yourself, your work, your qualifications. Brag, who are you, Alexandra Ress? Okay, so my name is Alexandra Ress, or shortly Alexa. 
and I'm a functional and holistic nutrition coach. I am currently based in Switzerland, and just like you have said, I'm specialized in SIBO, IBS, and gut health. So I have my clients with a holistic plan to really start identifying the root causes or contributing factors to their gut issues and really have them uh, get back control of their bodies without the fear of food or relying on pills. And the reason why I chose gut health because I also have a long history of gut issues. And it all started back like when I, kind of like when I moved to Switzerland, my health took a huge turn. And I started to having like histamine issues, which could be really nasty in some way. Um, and then later comes SIBO, so small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, leaky gut, even gastritis in the picture until the point I managed to overcome those issues. And during those times, I got in contact with functional nutritionists, um, so together we worked on my gut health. And this is the time when I really got interested in functional medicine. And I was really amazed how much uh, it differs from conventional medicine because they really focus on the, the root cause approach to really find what is triggering the symptoms because the body signals us with symptoms, but we don't really want to push them away. We want to really understand what it means and I was falling in love with this approach basically um, and yeah this gave me the motivation to get into this field to start learning more about uh, functional nutrition as well and how anti-inflammatory foods as well could be powerful to beat uh, some of these chronic conditions or keep them at bay at least and getting more deeper and deeper to understand uh, what they mean. Perfect. And one of the things that people love about my show is that the guests that I bring on understand root causes. And not only do you understand root causes, but in many times have experienced these issues which have triggered you to study deeper, to learn more. Instead of saying, let's just take medicine to cover this up. Let me figure out how can I deal and help improve my, my situation because yes, we can take a pill to cover up a symptom, but what happens is you have to take a pill to counteract the issues that the next, that first pill brought you. So you move to two, and they take another one to counteract, to counteract the third one. Next thing you know, you're on five medications and you're 40 years old. A similar thing happened to me with my asthma. I'm not going to go over the whole story, but this by age 35, I was on three medications. Well, at age four or age 39, not 40, age 39, I'm on zero. So four years later, I'm on zero medications by finding out the root causes. It wasn't exercise related. It wasn't activity induced, like some doctors might have thought because they weren't sure. They just knew that inhalers and allergies, I just, you know, could improve my, using my inhaler and taking a pill for my allergies would help. Well, yeah, it helps somewhat. But when I figured out what the root cause was, I don't need the medications and I'm breathing better without my medications. This time of year, I would be on medications, of course, a lot because it gets a little bit colder. And then as the pond starts to fall a little bit later on, I have a hard time breathing because of the combination of my allergies and the cold. But now I'm doing my show. I'm not coughing. 
I'm, 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 I'm active and I feel fantastic because of figuring out the root cause. So thank you so much, Alice, for being on the show because um, these are things that we definitely need to discuss. Yeah, now, I'm not going to Massive. Massive, right? So yeah. what are some things then? Okay, we're talking about the importance of gut health, right? What are some things that can harm our gut? Yeah, right. So we have we know that there are many things that can influence our gut health. So I'm going to give you some examples on that. So one of the main thing is like antibiotics, but even if we talk about these medications, then non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs as well, or painkillers also belong to this category. Because the problem with those antibiotics that, of course, there might be times when we really need them and we can't really avoid them, but they don't just kill the bad guys in your gut, but they also damage the good gut, good gut bags and disrupt this delicate balance. And um, of course, there, there were like studies like when you have to take like even one round of antibiotics, you may need from two months up to two years to actually recover from that round of antibiotics. So I think that's pretty massive. And, and there could be even strains that we never recover. So that's really detrimental for our health, obviously. Um, and just the only thing that I find a bit um, dangerous, let's say, that sometimes they are prescribed too often. So we always have to, of course, discuss with our doctors if it's really necessary and what we can do to prevent these side effects. Um, the next one would be like pretty common nowadays. These are these processed fast foods and they contain really these inflammatory ingredients. So too much omega-6, trans fats, too much sugar, uh, a lot of gluten, additives, preservatives, even artificial sweeteners. So they are really huge heavy hitters on our gut and of course for the liver as well. Um, and the next uh, category I would say is the lack of movement or exercise. So the sedentary lifestyle is really uh, not good for us. So there are studies that have found that regular physical exercise, so even if it's low, or moderate intensity, so you don't have to do these high intensity trainings. So these, these exercise or type of exercise can encourage the growth of the beneficial gut bacteria, which are really needed for overall health. And of course, we know like general exercise have a really positive effect on the whole body. Um, and the next, uh, I would say stress, especially if we talk about like chronic stress that uh, we experience um, constantly, it, ha it has a very negative impact on our body. So uh, when we talk about like a gut microbiome, so chronic stress can re reduce beneficial bacteria, for example, lactobacillus, and make some harmful bacteria thrive and it can result uh, in dysbiosis. So this imbalance in the imbalance between the good and the bad gut packs. 
Um, and of course, we are flooded today with these environmental toxins. So we are exposed to many of these toxins that can disrupt this delicate balance uh, of the gut flora. And of course, it can also overburden our liver and our detoxification capacity. Um, and the last one I would mention is uh, poor sleep, which is also really needed for this regeneration uh, process. And this is the time when we really heal our bodies. And uh, there was even a study that found that even just two days of sleepless nights can cause noticeable changes to the gut flora and can increase the risk of weight gain, um, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, and the list goes on and on. So I would say these are some of the main things that could really negatively impact our gut health and even the whole bodily function. Thank you so much. And that's a, that's a very comprehensive list. Um, things that I've talked about on many episodes on the show with different experts as these different topics come up. And I wanna to touch on a couple. But before I do that, let me explain this to most individuals. I always ask individuals, if you're in the gym an hour a day, right? And you, let's say that's 10% of your day, right? Or if you work out a little bit longer, so let's say you end up working out 15% of your day. What has a larger impact on your health? The 90 or 85 to 90% you're um, outside of the gym or the 10 to 15% you're in the gym? And that puts that into perspective for a lot of people because we think, oh, we just work out, working out, we'll feel, I'll, be, I'll be good, I'll be fine. Well, not really because that larger part of your day is really what has larger impact. And most people don't even work out every day. You may work out three, four days. If you're crazy like me, five, six days, but still it, it's still that extra 85 to 90%, right? And sometimes 100% if, you, if that's a rest day for you. So the topics we discuss on this show is to cover that 85, 90%, which is a larger part that has a larger impact on your health. Now, a couple of things I want to touch on is antibiotics piece. I had Dr. Latanya Booker on here uh, a few months ago, and she mentioned uh, antibiotic resistance. She's an MD, and mm -hmm. I really wanted to bring MD on the show. And when we really got down into antibiotic resistance, she explains that not only do these destroy your good, good bacteria, which may take months or years for it to grow back, if it can grow back the same, and that's an if. Mm -hmm. On top of that, the viruses, um, they become resistant to it. Not the viruses, I'm sorry, the bacteria I meant. They become yeah. resistant to it. And that's why you have to up your dosage consistently because they become resistant to it. That's antibiotic resistance. Just like we can be insulin resistant where you got increased insulin in someone who's diabetic because they become more and more insulin resistant. Same thing with antibiotics. So that's why going to anti antibiotics for the first step is a huge problem. NSAIDs destroy your good gut bacteria, right? Wipe everything. It's like dropping a bomb on your gut, literally, like Dr. Gunju would say, and it destroys those. So I'm not saying that those are not important and those can definitely help, but not for day to day, because day to day, even taking a pill for your headache on a day to day, it destroys so much for your body instead of looking at why am I having this headache? I haven't had a headache in years. Literally, I have not had a headache in years. And if I feel off, I knew there's something in my lifestyle I need to adjust. 
I focus so much on my sleep quality as well and those other habits you talked about, but you had something to elaborate on. Go ahead, Alexandra. Yeah, I mean, on this topic, uh, you are completely right. So we are kind of conditioned to search for uh, quick fixes and band-aid approaches. So even if you have some pain that coming up, we just want to silent it with a pill, like leave me alone, let's do my day further and don't bother me. But this is not the right approach in my opinion. So we always have to ask what my body is trying to signal me, maybe because we haven't drank enough on that day. So it could be just simple as that sometimes. Obviously, yeah, then when there are like more constant or chronic pain, then we, we really need to take the time to look into it. Exactly. Once it's, it's reached that point, then you can. we may want to look into medication because sometimes medication is important. Like if I get hit by a bus, I'm not going to inhale some essential oils and think, okay, my leg is going to grow back. I'll be fine. All <laughs> you know, right. That's not how this works. So there's times when you need Western medication, but not for day-to-day maintenance, right? And I want to, before you get, I get into the next question, I want to talk about the workout piece and, and gut bacteria because this is very important. A subtle thing that a lot of trainers miss, even nutritionists and dietitians miss. So our mitochondria have five pathways, right? And uh, when we eat carbs, they go through mitochondria pathways one, three, four, and five. When we eat fats, they go through mitochondria pathway two. Now, what people need to realize about that is one, three, four, and five are higher information pathways. Pathway two is a lower information pathway. Now, why am I bringing that up? You mentioned high intensity workout. When we do a lot of high intensity workout that puts us in zone three, four, um, three and four and five and so on, that causes us to crave and eat more sugars because we're constantly, we're past that anaerobic zone and we need a lot more sugars to fuel us because our cortisol levels are higher and it stays long, higher for a longer period of time. Our blood pressure raises, all that stuff happens, which is good in moderation, but not as an everyday thing. Now, if you weight train or if you train in more of a zone two where you stay in a lower or your heart rate stays lower, and I have an entire description of that on my show and I've talked about that on certain episodes, you're promoting fat oxidation and you're using mitochondria pathway two. Now, what does this do? This is a lower information pathway, which is great for your gut. So that's one reason why training and proper training, promoting fat fat utilization and fat oxidation can also be essential for our guts. So when we go to the gym and we, and you know, I see trainers that say, go, 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 move, 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 do this, do that. I'm like, dude, you have no idea what you're doing. If that's what you train people to do, they're throwing their money away. Unless this is something that you do with the client and you know specifically for that day, that's what the client needs. But if you're doing this as a class and just for everyone, you're literally killing the client day by day because you're they're causing sugar cravings. They have a harder time losing weight and they're, they're using more of their inflammation pathways in their mitochondria, which is not good for their health long-term. So I just really wanted to touch on that. Yeah, I'm really grateful that you talked about this. So I think it's very important to know it. Now let's get into the next topic, gut motility, because I love that you talk about this and you have a lot of knowledge. So what is gut motility and what are some causes? 
Okay, sure. Um, so gut motility basically refers to the movement of food and other substances from the mouth through the esophagus, stomach, small intestine towards the colon, and then out of the body. And of course, motility involves this coordination of smooth muscle and even nerve function. Um, so there are different, of course, types and phases, but for example, I specialize, I'm specializing in SIBO and we usually talk about the specific type, which is the MMC. So it means migrating motor complex. And this is a specific cyclic type of motility. Um, this is stimulated by the hormone motilin. And basically we call it like the housekeeper of your gut because it only gets activated uh, during fasting periods. So when we don't eat any food, so between meals, and it basically sweeps out the remaining food particles and bacteria from the small intestine towards the colon. And it is really crucial that we have this good functioning MMC. So bacteria don't have a chance uh, to start feeding on let's say carbohydrate and then start this fermentation process in the small intestine. So we want to avoid that. So if it gets dysfunctional, then there are a few signs that uh, you can spot. Like when somebody starts feeling this constant bloating, gassiness, even constipation, but it could be actually diarrhea. So even if you have a low motility, you still can have diarrhea and feeling of fullness, nausea, abdominal pain, even burping. So these are mostly the signs when uh, somebody has an impaired gut motility. Now, of course, uh, this is a very important topic uh, in terms of SIBO, but there could be many causes why it happens. So one of the main causes I would say is chronic stress. And I want to talk about it, just a, a few sentences on this. Why uh, am I mentioning chronic stress? Because basically, uh, when you are in this chronic stress, so in this fright, uh, freeze, and fight response, then it shuts down digestion, including motility as well. So even if you are eating the best diet, let's say, even if it's organic and so healthy and everything, uh, but you are eating that food in a very stressful uh, way or state, then your body will not be able to digest that properly and the food may get stuck or sit in the stomach or in the small intestine where bacteria start having the chance uh, to feed on and creating gases. So this is, I think, very crucial that whenever we touch the food, we always should be in this rest and digest response. Um, but of course we can talk about this uh, later on as well. Um, other reasons or causes could be like when somebody had any abdominal surgeries, maybe because of endometriosis, then it can create blockages, blockages and uh, scar tissues. So it can really block the flow of the food and substances, substances through the intestines. Um, of course, it could be caused when somebody has low functioning thyroid as well, 
uh, any kind of uh, infections like Lyme disease or viral infections, and even from which is very common in IBS as well, like from previous food poisoning events, it can create this autoimmune reaction and then damage the nerves. Um, poor eating habits can cause this or contribute to this, let's say, or gut bacteria imbalances, um, inflammation and uh, neurological disorders as well, for example, Parkinson's. So, this impaired motility has been linked to SIBO uh, as one of the root causes. And like I said, so we need like this well-functioning gut motility in order to prevent the overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine. Um, so the way we can do it, obviously, by uh, focusing on these eating habits and uh, nowadays, prokinetics are also used, both pharmaceutical or even natural ones, uh, to improve uh, the motility. And of course, one of the easiest way is uh, meal spacing. So when we really keep these four or five hours of uh, gap uh, between meals and maybe a 12 hours of overnight fast, that could really help uh, the migrating motor complex to get activated and sweep out this um, remaining bacteria from the small intestine towards the colon. I fast, I stop eating at eight every night. And usually my eight o'clock is usually a, a snack like fruits or something like that. I eat my dinner around four, four or five. People make fun of me. They th tell me that I, I eat like I'm 70 years old because I eat dinner so early. But I do, and to, and then I snack a little bit later, some you know, um, before I go to bed, and I don't eat again till about nine or ten the next morning, right? And I've been that's been my practice for years, and I also do a week to week. I'm sorry, every week I do a dinner to dinner fast once a week, mm -hmm. and uh, that's been huge for my health. I actually did not know that it activates motilin and the connection it has with gut motility. So for those who are contemplating fasting um this is something to consider with, with especially when it comes to your gut motility and a good gut environment um because again i, I wasn't familiar that it activated motilin so i'm really glad for you to educate that educate us on that so thank you very much i have a question a follow-up question though what role would fiber play in gut motility if any um fiber you mean i'm not yes. sure in that way, I mean, I usually think about like SIBO in that way, and usually fiber is not something that we immediately want. But I just wanted to add something to this topic, which I think would be important as well. Like we, a lot of people have this habit of snacking, mm -hmm. and they like grazing throughout the day. But when you have like a low motility and um, a dysfunctional one, then you really want to avoid snacking. So when you are having these four or five hours of gap is really beneficial. And then of course you have to listen to your body, but it's better to have three main meals if it's possible. I mean, of course you need to consider if you have any blood dysregulation or cortisol issues or adrenal dysfunction or anything like that. But if it's possible, then three main meals and no snacking if it's possible. 
But right. Fiber, and just returning to the question, um, I'm not sure if we can talk about in terms of this or motility. Oh, okay, so fiber may or may not play a role in gut motility. I was just curious as to um, as far as what roles that would necessarily play. And to uh, the maybe there are just maybe I'm not aware of it right now, so could be fair enough. Fair enough. And to those out there um, for who do, let's say if you work out or you're a bodybuilder, because I know we do eat more often, what you can implement in that case is the fasting periods. So like for myself, I eat every three hours because of how much I train um, and how much calories I have to eat. However, I do do that 12 hour fast or even 13 or sometimes 14 hour fast daily to activate that um, my gut motility, um, lower inflammation, well, now I know it's activating gut motility, lower inflammation, lower oxidative stress, and um, so on and so forth, right? It gives my body a rest in those periods. So if you have to eat often, just think about at least activating, um, allowing that 12 to 14 hours. In addition to, um, if you can, if you at that level, the, the weekly dinner to dinner fast is something that can be beneficial as well. And I have an entire episode on proper ways of fasting that can be and how they can be beneficial for you because for men versus women is different. What your goals are are different. So I recommend someone goes back and listen to that short episode that I released a couple months ago. Now, I wanna go on a little bit further and talk about, before we dive deep into SIBO, I wanna talk a little bit about bloating, right? Cause a lot of times people just don't know what causes bloating, it's just gas and what's going on. So what are the connections between bloating and poor gut health? Right. So like I think I mentioned in the beginning, so the body signal starts with symptoms and bloating is a symptom that may indicate that there is dysfunction or an imbalance going on in the background. And of course, we have to differentiate if we talk about like uh, acute uh, bloating or one-time bloating or if it's really, if it's really chronic. And I see a trend nowadays that people started to normalize chronic bloating, and I think it could be dangerous because if you have chronic bloating, it's not normal. Um, so, of course, when you're feeling this experience uh, or when you experience the fullness and the bloating after each meal and it gets painful even, and if you may look like six months pregnant, then this is a sign to find possible causes. Um, so of course, we can also start with the eating habits and the lifestyle. So how you eat that food, uh, what, uh, in what state you are in, are you eating when you are stressful? So all of that, which can be the basics. And of course, bloating can be caused by uh, many things. So even when you are constipated, this can also cause bloating, uh, food intolerances, food allergies. And for the women, actually, it's also good to get investigated, like we're going into the direction of gynecological issues, because sometimes there could be endometriosis as well, or ovarian cysts that may cause this uh, distended belly. Um, and it could be like infections, like uh, yeast infections, uh, parasite, bacteria, overgrowth. So really there could be so many reasons. 
And that's why working together with a practitioner um, could help us move forward and get to the answers. And when we talk about like, so this bloating and poor uh, gut health, of course, uh, this can cause irritation when you are having bloating. I mean, depends on, on the reasons why we are having that, but it can cause inflammation and all of this gut or even non-gut related symptoms. So some people may have eczema or other skin issues or rashes, and they don't necessarily think that it can come from the gut, but in many cases, there is a strong relationship between the skin and the gut. But of course, it could be uh, true for all types of um, organs, let's say it for the brain health as well. So even when you are having this slow way of thinking, or if you are having this brain fog, headaches, they can also can be connected to the gut. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question. Oh, you're definitely, no, you're there. You definitely answered the question. Thank you so much. And you elaborated on it as well, because you got into like the skin issues that I just want to kind of add on to that, that I used to have really bad eczema. I've been to the doctor, to the emergency room, actually, because my eczema, my sister and other people in my family have skin issues because of bad eczema. My mother also have eczema and they're on medication. I'm the only one who's not. Why? I healed my gut. See, you're yeah. talking about the symptoms. Eczema was a symptom of something that was going on in my gut. I healed my gut. Guess what? No more eczema, right? And I've had it for years, you know? And so again, getting to the root causes, like you say, when we get the symptom and then try to rub a cream on it or take a pill for it, you heal the underlying issue or you solve the underlying, the underlying issue and that will take care of the symptom. So thank you so much for uh, getting, for explaining that to us. Now let's get to the big boy because small intestine bacterial overgrowth is really what we're going to, you hinted on it before, but we're going to talk about it in depth now. So what exactly is SIBO and what is its connection to gut health and inflammation? Yeah, right. So yeah, SIBO is a huge topic, of course, but uh, it's basically a digestive condition and it stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It basically means that there is an excess amount of bacteria in the small intestine where the number should be relatively low comparing to the large intestine. So some people say that bacteria gets translocated from the colon to the small intestine, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they are pathogenic or bad bacteria. They could be uh, normal uh, bacteria that's also present in the large intestine. And the problem basically starts uh, with that bacteria, bacteria starts uh, fermenting carbohydrates or fibers and starches, and they are creating byproducts, so gases, uh, which can lead to uh, inflammation and symptoms. So most common symptoms could be uh, abdominal pain, uh, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, reflux, so these heartburn symptoms, uh, nausea, fatigue, but it can uh, cause uh, muscle joint pain, uh, skin issues, um, 
and uh, lower energy levels and so many things. And one interesting fact is that according to the studies, like up to 84% of IBS cases are actually caused by SIBO, which I think it's pretty massive. And um, so when we are looking at the symptoms only, we can certainly say if the symptoms are caused by SIBO or something else. So therefore, like doing this uh, three-hour breath test could be really beneficial to identify the type of overgrowth and the amount of overgrowth that someone may have. So we usually differentiate three uh, type or we identify. So three types of gases have been identified so far, like the hydrogen, methane, and hydrogen sulfide. Now, People in the US actually have advantage because now there is a test available that can test uh, all three types of gases. So hydrogen methane and hydrogen sulfide. Um, yeah, so the other thing in terms of inflammation that these bacteria that are translocated in the small intestine um, produce toxins. It's endotoxin, which is called lipopolysaccharides or shortly LPS. And these uh, gram-negative bacteria can overpopulate there and secrete this toxin, which can damage the intestinal lining. And then it can make it more permeable or it can cause basically leaky gut. And then this toxin can pass through the gut lining and get into the bloodstream and can really start this inflammatory process and they can trigger an immune response and causing pain and inflammation all over the body and in some cases can lead to autoimmune diseases as well. Right. Wow, that was powerful. So a few takeaways from that. One, there is a 85% connection between IBS and SIBO. That's, yeah. that's, that's wow. That's huge, right? That's, that's huge. huge. Yes. That's, 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 that's mind blowing. No, those are mind blowing numbers right there. 85%. So a bacteria in our bodies are connected to our body weight, connected to our overall health is connected to IBS and other health issues. And then you talked about the inflammation piece, right? Because gut permeability once you start to destroy that gut lining, right, and then you try to trigger the autoimmune response, then comes autoimmune diseases. So we talk about SIBO is kind of like just the start of all this. It, it actually started before SIBO, but at, when we talk about SIBO grows into bigger, uh, larger issues, that's why um, doctors I've had on the show have said that when we have one autoimmune disease, there's a good chance that you're going to develop another one because once that autoimmune response begins, it's just, it's like a downhill slope. Yeah. And you start to create those anti, anti, um, um, auto, um, antibodies and so on and so forth. Right. And you create that, that, that downhill slope. So that's why it's so important to get to take care of the root cause. Cause when you look at the root cause, you can possibly stop, um, the gut permeability. Right. And then reduce that chronic, not inflammation in general, but the chronic inflammation that leads to autoimmunity. So you don't get to that point where you're just basically starting a chain reaction at that point. Yeah, right. 
That's true. So let's talk about things that we can do then, right? I don't want to scare everybody off and we think that, okay, life is over. I have autoimmunity, I have SIBO, IBS. Just turn off the podcast and go dig a hole somewhere. No, that's not what we're trying to do here. So let's talk about some foods um, that can actually uh, contribute to SIBO. And, and basically, these are some foods that they should think about avoiding. Okay. I mean, it's not always that simple because, of course, there are uh, general foods. And what I usually like to recommend is more like just an anti-inflammatory food plan. Now, I mentioned this connection between IBS and SIBO. And obviously, like the FODMAP, the low FODMAP diet is mostly used for IBS uh, cases, but because of that connection, it's also applied for SIBO. But of course, there are many different uh, dietary plans that were created specifically for SIBO. And they mostly try to reduce these fermentable carbohydrates and starches and even fibers that may, let's say, feed the gut bugs. But I also want to highlight here something which is very important that even though, it, or it doesn't matter which food plan somebody follows, they only have to reduce symptoms and inflammation, but they will not resolve the underlying reasons of SIBO. And a lot of people fall into the trap of starving um, SIBO, but it's kind of like they get into this vicious cycle where they start uh, starving themselves. Now, of course, I will also mention some of these big um, uh, inflammatory foods that we definitely want to eradicate, even if it's temporarily. So one of the main thing is like, of course, sugar and other toxins. So sugar is very, it could be very inflammatory and can be a big culprit for digestive symptoms. And especially the ones that are in this processed junk and fast foods, even artificial sweeteners and preservatives, high fructose corn syrup is like really damaging for the whole gut, not just for SIBO, but uh, in general. Um, and of course, these trans or hydrogenated oils, vegetable oils that are really inflammatory, we want to remove that. Uh, from the diet, if it's possible, um, sugar, alcohols like xylitol and erythritol. So these are also higher FODMAPs as well, and it triggers symptoms like diarrhea or bloating in many people. Um, the next I would say is gluten, and I would especially mention this if somebody has an autoimmune disorder or a leaky gut. We may uh, want to remove that. Um, and of course, this zonulin, it can cause elevated zonulin and that contribute to this loosening of these junctions between the cells in the gut and can result in inflammation and increased intestinal permeability. Um, and it's the other reason that uh, not just gluten, but in some grains or in, in wheat actually, that they are sprayed with glyphosate and other toxins that could be really uh, detrimental for gut health. Um, and these, in this phase or in this section, I would also mention dairy 
So casein, like the protein in dairy, could also have a bit similar effect to gluten in some people. And of course, lacto, uh, yeah, lactose, the, the sugar, which is found in, in the milk or dairy product, could also cause symptoms. So they are considered as high FODMAP foods, for example. Um, and of course, there are like general high FODMAP vegetables that might be needed to remove temporarily. I don't say they should be removed uh, long term. Definitely not because they are really needed and they are food for the gut microbiome. So for some people may need to remove some onions or garlic, artichokes, cabbages or cauliflower and so on, and some of the fruits. But um, yeah, because they could be high in fermentable carbohydrates that can create some digestive symptoms, but, uh, but they are also fewer for the microbiome. So this could be a bit uh, dangerous uh, pass. Um, and some people may not tolerate like legumes. So they, uh, they, they are belong to these oligosaccharides and can be found in legumes or beans, chickpeas, lentils. So they may be hard to uh, break down and may cause more bloating or inflammation in some people. But what we usually can do is uh, choosing or cooking methods. So like soaking, sprouting, cooking, uh, they may have with the digestibility of these foods. So then they don't need to eliminate them. Like they can include them, just be mindful about how they eat them or how they use them in their diet, for example. Wow, that's that that was a lot. Thank you so much for um, breaking that down for us. Because so, um, oh by the way, I just want to add one clarification to what I said earlier. I meant um, autoimmune antibodies. I don't know why I drew a blank when I was talking earlier, but I should have it was the <laughs> autoimmune antibodies. I just want to clarify that piece of the conversation when I was talking about leaky gut. So, but I have a follow up question for that though. So let's say someone, um has a SIBO, right? Mm -hmm. Do you, what's the benefit between looking at a FODMAP or working with a specialist? Is there some foods that some people can tolerate better than others or some foods that some people may, may need to eliminate, but some may not need to eliminate? How would you approach that? So of course it depends on the client history as well. So if somebody had like an eating disorder or they have a lot of fear of food, or if they have been on diets before, I definitely wouldn't recommend to go back to it unless they have really bad symptoms. But I mean, I'm not a dietitian, so I don't uh, prescribe the diet plan to anybody. We are usually trying to find like uh, an approachable food plan which contains anti-inflammatory foods. And then we focus on increasing those kind of foods in their diets rather than focusing on the elimination part. So as far as I know, there wasn't any study that proved that any of this diet could eradicate SIBO in itself. So that's why I don't think that doing these harsh diets will bring anything uh, forward. So it sounds like it would be better to look at what may work best for you versus thinking, you know what, I'm just going to look at this map and I'm just going to eliminate stuff and see what happens. 
<laughs> That's really what it sounds like you're explaining to us here. I mean, of course, we all have different bodies and we react to different things. So some people may tolerate uh, a lot of things quite well. And usually, for example, people who have methane uh, overgrowth or methanogen overgrowth, they tend to tolerate more foods by others who have hydrogen, for example, overgrowth, they may tolerate less foods. So the, in terms of grains as well, some people kind of feel totally fine, totally okay. Some other people can't do that. And of course, uh, there are differences as well. Like in terms of SIBO, like these jasmine rice or basmati rice are better tolerated because they have, la they have a lower fermentation point than other types of uh, rices, for example. Wow, I didn't know that. Thank you so much. Now, on the topic of foods now, let's talk about inflammation because, you know, we know that inflammation is connected to so many things, basically every health issue we can think of. So what are some good anti-inflammatory foods or omega-3s, I should say? Yeah, so if we consider first like the oils, so we want to, of course, eliminate these vegetable oils that are high in omega-6, and then we want to change them to some of the lower or in the omega-3 uh, uh, oils. So olive oil, of course, and coconut oil could be also very beneficial. So it also has some uh, antimicrobial effect. Um, and we also want to focus on colorful vegetables and fruits, so especially leafy greens if they are tolerated like kale, spinach, and even bitter foods like dandelion greens, um, uh, arugula, rucola, I don't know how you call it. It's called differently in, uh, in each region. Um, cruciferous veggies could be tolerated in some people quite well, like broccoli and starchy tubers could be okay for many. Um, of course, from the fruit staff, we wanna include berries or blueberries and raspberries if they are okay with that. High quality meat, so grass-fed beef or um, white goat fishes, uh, salmon. So, and then of course we wanna include herbs and spices like ginger, turmeric. They are really good for inflammation. They have a powerful anti-inflammatory uh, benefits. Uh, cloves as well, I really love that, cinnamon. Uh, of course, nuts and seeds like flax seeds or even hemp, almonds. Um, so I would say these are the things that we are trying to focus on. These are the categories. Of course, later on, they can try like fermented foods, but of course for SIBO or even for histamine issues, this could be tricky. So it's definitely not for everyone. Um, so basically, it's like whole foods that we want to focus on and then rotating them. That's very important. So they are not eating the same type of foods. Um, and these phytonutrients are really lower inflammation and possibly organic if it's possible. Yeah, if it's possible. So you just broke down my entire diet because that's exactly how I eat. Like dead serious. I get my meat delivered oh, to, to me. Hear. 
and uh, it's delivered to me once a month. And my meat is grass fed, grass finished. All the fish that I eat is wild caught. I eat a wide variety. I love beets, for example. Most people hate beets. I love beets. I eat kale. I eat spinach. I eat berries. Um, berries are great for the brain, by the way. Hint, hint, people. Berries are good for the brain. I learned that from Jess Brain, who I had on the show a couple months ago. I said a couple months ago because I can't remember the, remember the exact timeline, but episode with Jess Brain, um, she talked about the importance of berries for her brain as well. So you just brought up my diet. Nuts. I eat almonds. I don't eat peanuts, by the way. Those are legumes. I eat um, almonds, pistachios, walnuts. I once in a while may eat peanuts. I'm not saying legumes are bad, but as far as nuts, I eat I eat actual nuts. Um, so I have a and that also that variety is great for your microbiome perfect for microbiome. Ashley, I had on the show, I would say it's going to be about three or four weeks before this episode. She said that we need to expose ourselves to about 30 different plant foods a week. doesn't mean 30 different foods and vegetables, but 30 different. So that could be in spices. That could be what we drink. That could be nuts. That could be vegetables. Exactly. Teas. Exactly. Expose yourself to these different. And I would say I hit around 25 to 30. That's my usual average. Um, a bad week may be 20, but most of us probably expose ourselves to five if we even do that much. <laughs> right. So, yeah. you know, that gut, that variety is great and feeds your mind. It feeds your healthy bacteria and it's great for your microbiome. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes even when somebody has like an imbalanced uh, gut microbiome that feeds SIBO, let's say, then it's really crucial that we implement these uh, changes and we are having more colorful veggies and fruits and with polyphenols, antioxidants to really attack uh, inflammation. So that's my goal usually to to, uh, implement those changes. So eat the rainbow, but not the Lucky Charms rainbow, but eat the rainbow of fruits Clever and vegetables rainbow. and so on and so forth. The good rainbow, right? Eat the good rainbow, yeah. not the Lucky Charms rainbow. Stay away from that. Lucky Charms can sue me if they want, but they know they're terrible. Now, as promised, right? Um, let's talk about what are some things that your body or your gut needs to thrive? Okay. I mean, this is kind of a very complex thing. And I like to approach this from a holistic uh, point of view, because of course, we also mentioned some of the things like we need body movement. So I don't really like using exercise like the word, because a lot of people may have this negative connection with that word. But we just need like to move our bodies to really have uh, bringing more oxygen, more energy to the cells. And of course, when we talk about anti-inflammatory foods like nutrient-rich foods that I just mentioned, they are really crucial uh, for dealing with inflammation or reducing symptoms. And we need to find time uh, for self-care and restoration, uh, stress management. We we are all exposed to chronic stress or even just... uh, Uh, stress like every day and we need to find the tools to deal with those um, events and we need of course connections meaningful connections relationships as well and support from family and especially if somebody is dealing with chronic uh, uh, a a chronic disease Uh, good quality of sleep and sleep schedule 
to have uh, a good circadian rhythm as well, uh, good eating habits to really focus on the food and how we eat that food. Um, and of course, um, we may need some uh, treatment like herbs even uh, to treat any infections or test, of course, to get uh, closer to the solution. But I feel like mindset is also very important, how we approach our bodies, uh, how we trust our bodies. And we also have to be aware to have some joy, some fun uh, during those times and not crazily focus on one or the other area. And yeah, we have to really find just the small things that makes us happy. Um, and, and really reminding ourselves that each healing journey is unique and we shouldn't compare our health journey to another uh, person. And of course, there are other areas that uh, we can work on, like uh, we can support our uh, detoxification pathways uh, so we can eliminate toxins easier. Um, vagus nerve function as well, which is uh, many times could be dysfunctional when we talk about chronic illnesses. Um, just simple ways like even singing or gargling, these are very good ways. Um, yeah, so supporting the body from every possible angle is the best way how we can get on the healing path. So you're looking at it from a holistic standpoint, right? You're looking at it from yeah. the mental part. You're looking at it from the, the movement, the physical piece, which you're right. Movement and exercise is not really the same thing. Because again, I talk about the 10% versus the 90%. If you work out for an hour, but you don't move the other 90% of the time, what you're really accomplishing. One of my habits is when I wake up, I usually get red light from the sun in the mornings or before 10 o'clock. And I'm out there for 15 minutes or so moving around and I, I don't sit for more than an hour without getting up for five minutes or if I'm in a meeting or something where I last longer the more the moment I can get up for about 10 minutes I do that and move around for a little bit because movement is so important for not just for your gut but also for 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 uh for weight management it's important to keep moving to for your body to use energy is important to keep moving Movement has such benefits. And if you, especially if you do it outside where you're getting sunlight, especially as it gets warmer now. And there's so much research that shows that the sun, the rays of the sun has direct impact on your adipose tissue. So you can actually shrink your adipose tissue. So if you're trying to lose weight, moving and moving outside can be beneficial yeah. for that and for your gut. Yeah, outside exposure. Yeah, you are completely right. You're getting that fresh air, so on and so forth. And then your circadian rhythm. Ashley, who had on the show a few weeks ago, she mentioned that when our circadian rhythm runs optimal, we actually use the bathroom on a schedule. And I mm -hmm. never thought about that until I said to her, wait a minute, second. I use the bathroom at 8.30 to 9 o'clock every morning. And I never yeah, thought yeah. that of that connection. I'm like, that is so true. 8.30 to 9 o'clock. Even if on my fasting day, which I haven't eaten anything whatsoever, every morning at 8.30 to 9 o'clock, because your body likes to run on a clock and our bodies do not like to do things that are unnecessary. So taking care of yourself on the whole, on the whole, in the holistic way 
is mm. the best way to get yourself on track. So thank you so much. This was a fantastic interview. And my audience will definitely benefit from it. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Now, with that being said, uh, how can my audience get in touch with you? Any plugs that you have, website you have, just let us know. How can we reach you, Alexandra? Um, so there are two ways. I think these are the easiest ways. So I have a website. It's seekinggodhealth.com. So it's one word, Seeking God Health. And I am also available on Instagram under the same name, so Seeking God Health. And yeah, if they have any questions, they can uh, reach out to me directly in the chat as well or look at my website. I also have several blog posts on SIBO and gut health that could be interesting. And of course, yeah, they can find more information about my background and my story as well. Thank you so much. And uh, Alexandra's uh, contact information, ex especially your website, will be in the show notes, um, Alexandra, I'm sorry, zukahealth.com slash Alexandra R. And of course, the show notes will be in the description of the podcast. You just click on the link and uh, access her, uh, access it. So that will make that easy. And her website, I'm sorry, not her website. Her Instagram is definitely awesome. I follow her, of course, and I read her posts and I learn things as I read. And I've learned things just talking to her in this interview as well. So listen to what she said. Try to implement changes that you can implement, but in, act, in actuality, seek out an expert, especially if you um, have SIBO, if you have IBS, if you, uh, if you have gut permeability, seek out an expert that can actually help you and identify the root causes so you don't have to fight with the symptoms that you've been fighting with. So thank you, Alexandra, and thank everyone for listening and um, enjoy the rest of your day, okay? Thank you as well. Enjoy your day. Thanks for listening to the Zico Health Show. If you got good quality content out of this or any of my episodes, save, subscribe, and share it with family, friends, co-workers, or anyone who needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.